bullshit, it's all just um gay politics. America's gotten kind of whack, but we're not gonna let it go down like that, cause we got a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. We probably don't have all the facts, but we got opinions and we'll probably backtrack. That's why it's a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. Ooh, it's all shit, it's all shit. It's all shit. It's all shit. I mean, are we gonna die? I don't know. I, I, you're extreme. I am extreme. It's all shit. Uh uh. This shit is bananas. B A A A A A S. This shit is Trumpanas. T R U M P A N A N A S. What? I don't know. I don't even know. Hey everybody, welcome to Dumb Gay Politics. I'm Julie. And I'm Brandy. And this is the podcast where we talk about the week in politics like we're talking about reality TV. Do we still talk about politics? (laughs) I don't even know. I don't know. Two Fridays ago, we went to Vegas to see Adele. Mm -hmm. Um, So we spent that entire week and after dealing with our feelings for Adele. And then last Friday, we went to Century City to see Scream 6. So we spent all week rewatching all the Scream movies and not paying attention to the news. (laughs) So I don't know. We're getting into these like holes. And the news is weird. It's like Trump and DeSantis. And that bank went under. The bank went under. But Biden's been given a couple speeches here and there. Palestine, Palestine, (laughs) railroads, railways. Yeah. Um, never-ending rain in California. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren Bo- Lauren Boebert's 17-year-old son impregnated a 15-year-old girl, and now they're having a baby. Everyone seems... She's a 36-year-old grandma. It's a 15-year-old girl who got pregnant, I think, is really the lead of the story there, which no one <laughs> seems to really care about. Uh, and, um... You know, just what else? Mar- yeah, Marge is on the war. We yeah. should get a d- divorce. And she's going after January. So J- Tucker Carlson, January right. 6th. Didn't really happen. It was a tourist if destination. They were gen- they're genteel. Genteel. They were genteel people. They're meek. He called at one point. He called them meek. Yeah. I just want to say for the Ugh. record, I'm glad Ashley Babbitt got shot and killed. You stupid fucking bitch. How about that? So there's that. <laughs> um. So... If anyone is interested in hearing about our scream journey, <laughs> we did a Patreon podcast about it. I know yeah. that doesn't sound very interesting, but, um, you know, the Patreon podcasts are supposed to be mindless fun. Right. We don't want them to be, you know, uh, being thrilled that that a piece of shit um, conservative Facebook monster died on January 6th. <laughs> we don't. Um, That's true. We want to just talk about. Sorry. Have sorry. fun. We want to be glad Nev Campbell died and scream in times. the movie yeah. <laughs> right. as a character. Right. She didn't. even. But die. that's what happens when you do this. These sorts of things. You then become desensitized to the fact that a human woman was shot because she was such a stupid fucking bitch. Yeah. Because she had to go and believe some bullshit and some lies and take her hate and her disgustingness and her spews. Yeah. And her toiletry. She knew the risks. She, she knew, the, knew risks. the risks. You were on private property. Not ma'am. a victim. Not a victim. No. Not a victim. So going back to your CrossFit gym, wait, you can't. So <laughs> anyway, the Patreon podcasts are, they're supposed to be stress-free. This podcast is very stressful mm-hmm. and draining and exhausting <laughs> and quite frankly depressing. So um, we like to go on to the Patreon. You know, we do get on kicks. Some people might find 
some more interesting than others. And that's just the way it goes. Yes. They can't all be winners, but we have fun doing it. It's a nice outlet. We like our Patreon group. We love them. Yeah, love. Um, So if you're interested, you should go to julianbrandy.com or click on the link in the description of this episode where we put, um, you can listen to, try out our Patreon podcast for free. Now, one good thing yes. uh, about joining our Patreon is that if you happen to have a comment on the regular weed... Like all of the people, the 14 listeners who are going to be offended about the Ashley Babbitt conversation we right. just had. How dare I? She's a human being. She was a victim of uh, brainwashing. She was a good person. Or her all family of that. didn't deserve that. Her family that. didn't deserve that. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Or a good comment. Or, or, <laughs> or maybe you like that. Any kind of comment you have, you can leave on the Patreon podcast. And we get the good and the bad and the ugly. They yeah. all come there. Um, <laughs> and But you can't uh, leave them on Apple, you know, or Spotify. No, or right. Whatever. Like a me- You could leave a review, right. which we also enjoy on, on iTunes. But you can't leave us a message or a comment, uh, which you can do on Patreon, which is one of the great things about joining Patreon. Now, Erin uh, Henderson left a comment about last week's regular weed. And she said... I wish I could comment on DGP2, Costco hot dogs for life. <laughs> Bills and inflation is literally out of control. But Costco has pledged to keep those hot dogs at 150 for life. 150 for life. 150 for life. And those hot dogs are incredible. I mean, uh, thank you again to our sis, our Adele sis, Ashley Ryder. Mm-hmm. I mean, we walked in. She gifted us a Costco membership. Yep. We walked in, got our cards. <laughs> Immediately turned around from that customer service right at the center. front, uh-huh. turned our back on the shopping, yes. walked right outside, got two hot dogs mm-hmm. and said, peace. Um, best hot dog. Best hot dog. But just uh, the best hot dog. They're incredible. We I don't know what to say. It. I swear. We were like $3 in the hole. We had two sodas, <sighs> two and the, hot dogs. And the amount of people who are walking around with hot dogs. Going back to their car or whatever. Like, there was just hordes of people. <laughs> With hot dogs. Yeah, it was like the January 6th of hot dogs. Yeah, it really was. So, I don't know, you know. So, yeah. We appreciate Aaron leaving us that comment. And you can comment on DGP on our Patreon podcast page. Um, Apple's oversight is our gain. Because that's that's another little hook we're going to use to eventually get you over there. Um, we actually do, like you said, get quite a few comments about DGP episodes on Patreon. And we also get DMs about, yes. about you know, certain people's feelings mm-hmm. um, through Patreon, too. So, um, But our favorite thing, Maman, as you know, is to get messages with pictures mm-hmm. that are mailed to us for our Drug Den Bulletin Board. So please go to our website, julianbrandy.com. If you want to send us a pic, you need to go there to get our mailing address and you can send us your picture postcard like Patrick Scully, who might be related to Agent Scully <laughs> in X-Files. Oh. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Ooh, Patrick. Wow. Julian Brandy, my now husband, Nick. Nick. Oh, Nick. He's finally married. Nick. <laughs> Patrick, my Nick. Nick. Oh, Nick. And I love you both so much. I, Patrick, am an original 14. And Nick, the shorter one, quickly got into it. We got married this fall after 13 years of dating. I am lazy and we never get pics of us. So I thought I would send. Thank you so much 
for helping us escape a little every week. Love Patrick in New York and Lucy, who's a gorgeous husky they're holding on the front. Like huge dog. Huge. And Nyak might be short, but we know his dick is really long. <laughs> <laughs> Just like your fucking engagement. How dare you guys wait 13 years? Mm. But no, we love that. We love a very long engagement. Of and course. Why not? The whole thing is perfect. We got a picture of them with Lucy standing in front of stairs. They're rich stairs. They're rich gay stairs. Rich Decorated gay stairs. for the fall. Yep. They couldn't be fucking happier, like eating soup in front of their fireplace that I'm sure they have when they get snowed in and stuff. And it's so cute. And for Patrick to say he's an original 14 and for us just to be meeting him picture wise is very special. I yes. We just love that so much. Yeah. Um, then we have Allison K. Brown. OK. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she sent us two original creations of by her. They're long sleeve psychedelic shirts it's like they're almost like sweatshirt material but they're the shape of like a long sleeve t-shirt they're like know. psychedelic shirts with that glow in the dark she made them and they're from her etsy shop mm. um she apparently made these meow meow while listening to one of our recent patreon podcast episodes we love allison for being on our patreon because we want all of her money <laughs> so she says hey guys I finally got around to making you two goofballs some of my shit. I was making them during good old bargain bin titty tots, slugging vodkas and grapefruits, laughing my ass off high as hell. Thank you for all the entertainment. I love you guys. Now, Allison, we're not for nothing. We love a Greyhound moment. Yep. And when I read your note, we immediately had to go out and get grapefruit. Yeah. So we could mm -hmm. start rocking up some Greyhounds. Now, Julie has... A wonderful Ugh. flowering, blooming grapefruit tree. Yes. But it was just... Actually, we just need to do that next time because we added fucking sugar to the Simply Grapefruit. You're anyway. right. You're right. So we you're can right. just use the grapefruits from the backyard. You're right. They're so juicy. They're so good. They're but so juicy. Now, Ugh. bargain bin titty tots <laughs> that inspired her to make these shirts for us. Um, and thank you so much, Allison. We love them. It is basically um, an hour straight of... You making an EP, your, the beginnings of your EP <laughs> uh -huh. is about a girl's weekend. Right. So should we play a little taste of the Why girl's not? weekend? Like okay. The first, the first of the four songs. Okay. okay, I've pressed record. So. Oh. oh. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. That's putting me back in the mood. What? Been working on it for hours. Not really. Well, did did you make this or did it come like this? I made this. Really? Well, what do you mean? I put beat. I put the sounds together. You pick the sounds and you have to so put them together. So did you put that fucking cowbell thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this part? Uh huh. Really? Yes. Wow, this is good. It's just like a little funky beat. Yeah, you have to go through all these sounds and whatever. I mean, it's only like. It's half, it's not even anything. And then. <laughs> so it started over. Is the very beginning. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The very beginning. Uh -huh. Is that, is that how, that's a first sound. So each one is a different thing. Okay. So you start with that. Dun, dun, so dun. that's okay. its own thing. Then what did you add in? Tell me. Then I added this. Okay. That. The beat? Yeah. Okay. That's good. Which is the. Ethereal disco beat. Okay. Kay. Then 
goes a little bit. <laughs> and then you put in <laughs> too much. The you can't really tell, but there's another like there's like a topper. There's like a ding ding. Yeah, I that's, hear that. Okay, that's, that's what I next. said was the cowbell. Now then you this. put this. Yeah. What's this called? <laughs> Bargain bin vibes. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. Touche. <laughs> I needed something because now that it needed to change there. Now this is where it needs to really be at the break. You know what I mean? But it's not like I have all day. You know what I'm saying? But yes, you do. <laughs> so what? You put that little breakdown in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the parts stopped. Stop. That's but then good. I keep putting it back. That's good. I've take them out. Then I put it back in. You've got to take them out topper. to do the breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> I like the topper. I like the topper too. You know, it's all this. Yeah. I don't know what that part that we might take that out. No, oh, I'm talking like about it. I love bargain bin vibe. Oh, you, like <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. And I'm fucking offended at the person who the marketing person who put it together and named it that. Bargain bin. There's four of them. Only a trash box like yourself would be attracted to the bargain to bin this. vibes. That's called b- base wave speed <laughs> and base FX01. That topper gets me. I love it. You like that topper? Yeah. I like this one. Which one? All right, we're going to take that out. Which? That was base FX. Ooh, yeah. But you love this one? I like base waves. Oh, here, starting it over. Okay. So are we going to hear the thing you changed? Yeah, you'll just, it just will be out. Okay. Started getting real fast there for a sec. Fast? Didn't it? The tempo doesn't change. I heard something change. Okay, let's add something. We or I did. Yeah, and it started getting fast. This is gonna be like a ladies' night song. Okay. You know what I mean? Or girls' night. Trap bargain bin girls. Bargain bin girls. <laughs> that's. Oh. They love a dollar store. Oh, they love a that's sale. Good. Okay. Yeah. They got a discount hotel. Okay, wait a minute. For their ladies' night out. Huh. Where are you going? Call me. Um, okay, I gotta go. Take care of the kids. <laughs> Actually, don't call me. Just text me. Yeah. Have fun with the guys. The ladies getting together tonight. <laughs> All the ladies time for ladies night. <laughs> girls can be girls and be free. <laughs> My husband will stay home with those, those three. What are the names? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> They're strangers to you tonight. We're having so much fun Forgetting all our kids And just laying in the sun Ladies night It's a girls trip out And we will get a jet And we will fly out Wow In the sun, in the sun We're gonna lay My legs are so white I hope they get tan Okay, now we get to go to Skew and learn something. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. Believe them 
now it's time for Brandy and I to ride our tiny bicicletas to skew. This is our segment called Time for Skew, where a live person teaches us something. Today, we're going to learn everything we can in 30 minutes about the motherfucking FBI. (laughs) And we're going to learn a lot because our professor for the day is a retired special agent for the FBI. Agent, I'm going to (laughs) say, Jody Weber. We have a million questions about the FBI, from how it works, to how they get hired, to how they feel about Trump. So without further ado, it's time for FBI Skewer with Jody Weber. Hi, Hi, Jody. Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me on. So excited. I mean... Can you imagine that voice called you? Yeah. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Hi, this is Special Agent Jody Weber. Oh, hello. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine because it just happened. And I was like, I was like, um, am I aroused? Hello. I don't even uh, understand. Um, please arrest uh, me. And I'm, by the way, I'm sure we probably could easily get arrested. Easily. Yeah. So right off the bat, Jode, um, Julie's not going to be able to listen in class today until she finds out if you've seen the 80s movie Fed starring Mary Gross and Rebecca DeMornay. I think a long, long time ago I did. Yes. Well, it was. It's from 1988. Yeah. And I feel like she looks it up <laughs> once a week. She looks at Mary Gross's photos. Yep. She has to be like the FBI was really sexist in the 80s. I'm like, and probably now. Uh, <laughs> well, certainly if you look at all the lawsuits filed by either applicants, female applicants at the FBI Academy, as well as lawsuits filed by female FBI agents in the past few years for sexual harassment and retaliation. There certainly is, um, there certainly is substantiation to that. What is retaliation? Like, well, well, basically, if you if you file an EEO complaint, meaning with the equal op, employment opportunity office at the FBI that you have been sexually harassed by a coworker, be it male or female. Um, and then that is reported and they open an investigation. Sometimes in these cases, employees are retaliated against. They're moved off their squads. They're moved off their cases. Mm-hmm. They are denied promotion. Um, things like that happen. Or if they report subsequent harassment, as a result of reporting um, the initial harassment, then it's looked at as, well, you're just a bad apple or you're constantly complaining and you're insubordinate because you're not listening to your supervisor. Well, you don't necessarily have an obligation to capitulate to ongoing harassment. So, you know, those kinds of things are coming out in these lawsuits. And certainly it is across the board. It happens, you know, not just in one field office or not in just one um, unit at headquarters, but it does occur across the bureau. And, you know, the FBI is really no different than any other employer. Sexual harassment occurs in many work environments. Um, it's just, you know, how how is it handled and is it taken seriously? And one of the big criticisms in the FBI in recent years is that there were numerous sexual harassment cases filed against many high-ranking mm-hmm. management 
in the FBI and headquarters knew about it. And rather than demote or um, fire these individuals, they allowed them to retire or they relocated them, similar to the Catholic priest scandal, where, you know, they knew about the problem. And rather than dealing with it, they just shuffled the deck, so to speak. I mean, talk about the height of hypocrisy. It's an, an organization made to, to enforce the law. And you can't even have the law inside of there. I can't take it. Uh, Julie, I, I, I was looking at it. her eyes, Jody, and it wasn't good. It was turning murderous across from me. I was like, uh-oh, oh, God. Okay, so tell us what, what the FBI is and what the FBI does. So the FBI is the premier law enforcement agency in the world, um, in in many people's opinions, um, based on the fact of just what it's capable of doing. Um, The FBI, we have offices in, there are 56 field offices across the country. Those are the major offices. And then those major offices have sub offices known as resident agencies. So for example, I, my last office of assignment was in Pittsburgh. So the main field office was in Pittsburgh, but then we had sub offices in Erie, Pennsylvania, in um, all throughout West Virginia, in various other parts of Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And so they all report to the main field office in Pittsburgh. And certainly across the country, that's the way that works in other major cities. Now, the FBI has been talking in the past few years about reorganizing their offices in Tennessee. Right now, they have main field offices in Knoxville and in Memphis. And what they're proposing is making a main field office in Nashville and then turning the Memphis and Knoxville office into resident agencies. So there may we may go from 56 to 55 main field offices. But in addition to the domestic offices we have, the FBI also has offices internationally, and those are known as legal attache offices. And what they do, because we don't have jurisdiction in foreign countries, but oftentimes our investigations require investigation in foreign jurisdictions. Yeah, like sexual harassment. <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly, you know, there are leads that need to be generated. Yeah. Um, and so our, what our legal attache offices do is they liaison with the local law enforcement in these foreign countries mm. in order to get assistance so that we can follow up on our leads. Like, so for example, when I had terrorism cases and I had leads that needed to go um, to the United Kingdom, I would liaison with the legal attache in London, and then they would put me in contact with <laughs> with law enforcement at Scotland Yard. Oh my God. The whole thing so is like great. so sexy. And it like, is. all we care about is like the fucking FBI, like pullover that says mm. FBI. FBI yes, on the back. Yes. And like, did you have all the gear, Jody? I had the, I had the raid jackets, those oh, blue raid yes, jackets, the, gray- with the big yellow letters. <laughs> yes. Yes. Where I'm like across the street, I'm like, the drug bust is going down, honey. The FBI agents are over there. It's just like Jason yes, Bourne and yes. were there words so, of Interpol being <laughs> just tossed I, you, I did liaison with Interpol. Oh, yes. Jody. I know, it's I hit much. the big time. And then, like, the cops are like, we don't want the fucking feds here, man. This is, like, our case. And they never want the FBI to come in, like, the local police, right? did you deal with that? 
Well, you know, that's the thing. There are many task forces in the FBI that work collaboratively with local departments, um, specifically in the drug arena, in um, child exploitation crimes. Certainly, most offices have a joint terrorism task force, which not only contains FBI agents, but also other federal and local agents to help combat terrorism. So, um, you know, it's kind of, it's very popular in the movies to show that <laughs> yes. the FBI doesn't get along with their other federal or local partners. But quite frankly, um, I think that's kind of a bad trope because, mm. I mean, some of my best friends are from DHS and from local departments that I've worked with, with the CIA, with um, NCIS. So, you know, I think it's, um, TV is not a good, TV and movies are not necessarily a very good depiction of what true life in the FBI is. But yet, let me tell you, the whole reason I got into the FBI is I went and saw Silence of the Lambs. Yes, <laughs> Jody. Yes. Jody like, saw Jody. Ever. This is cool. How do you become an FBI agent? You know? So I went out and I called up the local FBI office and I said, can I interview you? Because I think women across the country are going to think, this is fantastic. How do I do this? And how do you get into the FBI? So I interviewed this FBI agent and he was this old crusty guy who chain smoked and he's given me the fuzzy eyeball the entire time I'm interviewing him for about an hour. And then when I got done, he said to me, you know what? You interview people really well. And what the FBI has to do on any given day, you have to be able to interview anyone from a young child all the way up to the president of the United States. And so you have to be able to adjust and be able to talk to people and elicit information and deal with people who are criminals and deal with people who are victims. Mm. And, you know, if you start running and doing your push-ups, you can do it too. That was basically, wow. you know, his um recruitment of me and so i he's like okay you go do your little tv journalism thing for three years and then if you're interested fill out an application and that it's kind of like the one thing someone says to you in five to ten seconds that totally changes your life and it just stuck with me and so i did fill out an application and the process when I went through in the mid 90s was you fill out an application and then you take an initial test, which is um, quite a bit of math, believe it or not, a lot of psychology in it. Ooh. And then just kind of some some kind of like word problems where they give you a situation and then they ask you to analyze it and answer certain questions. And then if you pass that initial test, then you go on to phase two, which includes a much more extensive written examination as well as a panel interview. And then if you pass that, then they start the background investigation. But on is you. there and like that, a like an LSAT type of prep course for this? That or no, is you just funny you say that because that is exactly what I did to prepare for that initial test is I bought those workbooks for like studying for math for the SAT because, you know, I had been out of college for a few years. My algebra wasn't great, you know, or it wasn't yeah. up, to, up to speed. So I did those workbooks, those SAT workbooks, and that definitely did help me with that initial test. Wow. So you knew um, that the test was going to have math on it. Yes, they tell you that. Yeah. And you, you do need, I mean, quite frankly, any crime you investigate in the FBI or frankly, most law enforcement, any case, you got to be able to follow the money. Oh, that's wow. the bottom line. 
there is money, some sort of money or financial transaction in almost every crime. So because money is a big motivator for criminal activity. So you've got to be That's why we do able, all of ours. Yeah. 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 So you got to be able to follow the money. Um, but certainly once the background investigation began, I mean, they interview pretty much everyone you've ever talked to in your life. You go through an extensive oh, girl. We could, drug we testing. We lost a full job for, just with a, <laughs> with a simple background check. Yeah, yeah. The, yes. They looked at one tweet and were like, no. <laughs> No, well, and that's sir. a good point right there for current applicants, your social, I mean, when I went through, there wasn't social media, right. but certainly now they look at that. They look at your social media posts and they will go back years. But when I came in, you know, they were looking for people who were attorneys, who had law enforcement background, who had military background, mm. who were accountants or pilots. Now mm. it's much different. Now they're looking more for people who have extensive experience in computers. Yeah, and of course, yeah, because right. computers, computers are another part of, you know, just about every crime yeah. technology, um, certainly people who have foreign language capabilities, and especially Mandarin, Arabic, Russian. Do you think that I mean, I know the answer to this, but so one, it is pretty crazy that you got in, you know, without like basically a law enforcement background. Um, they are they harder on women in those tests than they are men in terms of getting in do you think well you know i the tests themselves the actual written and uh the actual written tests and the the initial test coming in i mean that's just you know basically they they put that the test into the scoring machine similar to like your sat exam um so that there's no um, differentiation there based on gender, but certainly, you know, your panel interview, that's subjective. You could all, you could have um, members of a different gender on your interview panel. And certainly, you know, they are, they are trained when they do those panel interviews to look for certain qualifications and do you answer the question or do you not? And mm -hmm. so, um, I would like to think, no, gender bias doesn't come in. But then once you get to the FBI Academy, I mean, I remember on the very first day, they sat us down and they said to the entire class, look, there's 100,000 other, other people that want your seat. If you're not perfect here and you don't pass everything, you're getting bounced and we have plenty of other people who want this job. That's in Feds. So That's in the movie Feds. <laughs> also, Julie's so, cousin yeah. didn't make the cut. Also, by the way, yeah, I just want to say we have do have a family member that he was in. I mean, not, whatever. No shade to him. You know, I, this sounds so hard. But he got rejected and it was just like a whole thing. <laughs> I do think, you know, you know, one of the problems that people forget or people don't realize is that, you know, there's many people who are in the military or let's say state troopers or in law enforcement prior to applying to the FBI, but they may be very tactically sound and proficient as far as kicking in doors and making arrests. Mm -hmm. But the actual day-to-day, -day, you have to be able to investigate. It's much more than handing out traffic tickets on the interstate. Ugh. You have to be able to look at complex investigations and you need to be able to interview people. And that was my superpower mm. is that I had interviewing skills as a journalist. Mm. So, and then, you know, it, it, going back to, you know, are they harder on women? The physical training and tests at Quantico, 
Um, our exam is slightly different than the men. The men have to do pull-ups. Our pull-ups were modified, um, but we had to do the same. And when I went through, it was a, a two-mile run. Now I believe it's down to a one-mile run. Um, but, you know, the firearms, it's all the same. You either pass the firearms or you don't. Same with defensive tactics. So it's a lot. It's quite a bit. I, what I imagine was that, like, with the, with the pass-fail tests, that you know you you it's basically an aptitude test and you can't fail it but then i what i think where the sexism would come in is like okay well this person got a higher score than this person but we're going to now make concessions because this is a man or right or not i don't even think that just i think it's just an inherent sexism like you had to be you know above average Mm-hmm. Even if you passed it, you had to be better than them to even be considered, I would think. Um, well, like, for example, one thing I remember specifically was during our fit- physical fitness tests, you know, we would have to do these push-ups and they had to be this perfect format. Well, that's subjective. So you would be doing push-ups and they'd say, no, that one didn't count. No, that one didn't count. Well, part of what they're doing is they're just trying to razz you and see how you deal with pressure in the moment. And it's really more of a mind game than a gender game or a gender bias. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, my arms are on fire. I'm I'm dying here, but you got to show that you're not going to quit and you're going to keep going and that you're not going to get frazzled. So that kind of stuff went on mm-hmm. back in my day. Um, I don't know about now, but... I just want to know, the FBI is basically like the cops of the federal government that's correct we investigate violations of federal crime so it's like a police force of the federal government that is then placed all throughout the country correct so it's is it run kind of like a like a police in like a city like the lapd is it like the same structure in each city yes we we would have a field office there but the way we operate is that um, operations are consistent throughout the country, meaning the office in Los Angeles has the same protocols as the office in Omaha, Nebraska, meaning that the agents in LA are trained exactly the same as the agents in Nebraska, because we all train at the same training center in Quantico, Virginia. And the reason we have that that way is so that when there are these massive investigations and we've got to bring in backup personnel to assist, like, for example, in Idaho with the Idaho College murder case, they brought in agents not only from Salt Lake, but from other divisions across the country. Mm. They're all trained the same way. So they all do the same kind of reports. They all do the same kind of crime processing procedures, that sort of thing. And that's where the consistency comes across. Well, that's so that brings a point like we are very basic bitch, true crime, (laughs) like dabblers, like we're not, you know, obviously there's people that are like killing the game and shit. But I with our dabbling, we a lot of this these stories from like the 80s somebody will be like like we watched this one where this bitch it's called kidnapped in plain sight or whatever (laughs) it's tragic um and they're like oh you know their daughter gets kidnapped and then they like they called the fbi and i'm like when what 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 are we to i wouldn't even know how to do that it wouldn't even occur to me so what like why would the FBI be involved in the Idaho murders? Like, what about that makes that a federal case? So not not 
every time the FBI is working a case, is it federal? Many times these smaller local departments, such as Moscow, Idaho, they realize this investigation is bigger than our resources and bigger than what we can do and handle. So oftentimes the police chief will liaison with the special agent in charge of the local FBI office and request FBI assistance. Because they need like real trained, not fucking tools. Well, it's not even necessarily skill. It's they need the manpower. They need agents to come out and help do these these massive interviews that needed to take place. For example, in Idaho, you had to interview all those family members to find out, okay, did any of these victims have threats against them? Mm-hmm. Did they have stalkers? You need to know you need to interview all the friends, all the sorority sisters, all the fraternity brothers. You need to do neighborhood canvassing. A small department like that isn't set up to do that wide scale of an in interviewing canvas then you need bodies to go collect the videotapes to do video canvassing you need the lab assistance mm-hmm. specifically not only with the forensics but you also need the expertise of the fbi for the digital examinations for the computers for the cell phones for car analysis mm-hmm. FBI was used to help identify the Elantra when that Elantra was seen on various videos. So all of that um, can be brought to the table when the FBI is requested for assistance by these local departments. Now, the FBI also can work um, cases where there's federal jurisdiction. Mm. So Given the fact that Brian Koberger lived in Washington, but the crime was committed in Idaho, technically that crossed state lines. Now, could that case go federal for a prosecution? Because of that, it could, but typically murder investigations, those are typically state prosecutions. Mm. So that is why that is staying at the state level at this time. So what are some things that like absolutely go to the FBI? Like when should we call the FBI? Like what is happening that we should call the FBI? Well, certainly if you see anything that you suspect is of terrorism nature, you know, where you have a suspicion that someone is, let's say, building a bomb in their barn or their back shed, or you know someone is embezzling money and doing anything that would involve an interstate wire transfer or mail fraud. If you suspect someone may be a pedophile and be engaged in child exploitation, um, any sort of that sort of thing, pornography, um, those are tips that you can call into the FBI. And certainly you can go online to the FBI tip line and file file um, an email complaint to the tip line online. You don't necessarily even have to call. Um, and then once you file a complaint, the FBI will contact you if they want more information. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it, it is, you, you bring up a good point because there were many times in my career, especially after 9-11, where, you know, everyone was just, just so traumatized by just the enormity of that event. People would call in and say, you know, I'm scared. I've never talked to the FBI. This may be nothing. This may be nothing. And I would always tell people, look, this is what your taxpayer dollars go toward. You know, you are doing the absolute right thing by calling in tips from the public. It doesn't matter if you're the FBI or a state 
law enforcement agency or a local department, tips from the public are the bread and butter of law enforcement. It helps solve crime. So you're doing your civic duty. You're not wasting anyone's time. Um, that's what we get paid for to check things out. So I would encourage your listeners, um, if they have any information they believe may be a violation um, of federal law, contact the FBI. Okay. Speaking of like crimes, your involvement when you were investigating crimes, because you were doing terrorism, you've done you've done a, the whole like spectrum of what could be financial crimes all the way to I guess like super violent, scary shit and. So I guess my question is, one, have you ever been or investigated people where you were really freaked out, where you were sitting there going like, wow, like that Silence of the Lands moment where you're like, I'm in the fucking house and where we're, this is about to go down. And my other question is, have you ever been in a situation where you where you feel like the law might be just like when it, it just is like, well, this person, I feel bad. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like when it comes to financial crimes and stuff or even drugs, we were like, Ugh, this person's. Yeah. Julie of- wants to know that you feel bad for Jen Shaw. <laughs> Not just, <laughs> but just, where there's a difference between, I, yeah, where there's, compa- where you're, you're a law enforcement officer, but there's also sort of like, man, this sucks, man. Like this person is just a person in pain or they didn't kill anyone. You know what I mean? Or drug. I mean, so what? They took some drugs. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, well, yes. And I can answer both your questions. So to the first part, um, I remember I did have one terrorism case where um, my partner and I, we knew there was an individual who was from the United Kingdom. He was Nigerian born, but lived in the United Kingdom. And he came to the United States in 2005 to get his pilot's license. And we had information from um, the flight school that this individual didn't care to learn how to land planes. And so he just wanted to learn how to fly. And that was concerning. So we got tipped off. Well, um, the secretary at the flight school heard this flight instructor call in this tip. Well, she tipped off this guy that, hey, you're being reported to the FBI. Well, he took off and went on the lam. Well, we were able, while we were investigating, we found that what he did when he got to the United States, he went to a Pearl Optical and he found this lady in Pearl Optical who was kind of just a lonely heart woman and, you know, kind of took advantage of her, kind of like, oh, you're so pretty. Those glasses look so pretty on you. Well, within two hours of talking to this lady, this individual was taken back to her apartment and was living with her you know, off the radar, didn't have a lease, was just kind of, you know, um, squatting at her residence. Well, in the subsequent days after starting to reside with her, he took her to different gun shows and acquired different guns. And he would, he would, he would sketch in these sketchbooks, um, like being in the cockpit and holding a bomb or a gun to the pilot's head. And so when he took off, when he found out that we were we were interested in interviewing him we tracked down this lady that he had been living with and we interviewed her and it was so pathetic because she was just so desperate for just male affection and she's like jody you don't understand i 
you know, we would laugh and I had someone to go to dinner with. And I'm like, all right, that's nice, Paula, but where are these guns? <laughs> Hold on. Uh, by the way, these I'm writing down, that's, <laughs> that's nice, Paula, Paula, but where are these guns? <laughs> I mean, well, let me tell you what this lady did. Now, she was a college educated woman, had a very nice, you know, apartment condo type place, um, had no criminal history. Well, he called her after he fled and told her, I need you to take those guns. Mm. And I need you to dump them in the Chattahoochee River. And so I'm like, Paula, Ugh. you're telling me you went down to the Chattahoochee River at midnight and dumped these guns in the river? Yes, I did. Wow. And so that's where FBI Jody came out. And I said, well, wow. let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If those guns are loaded and some nine-year-old boy or girl picks mm. that up while fishing and has an accident, you're on the hook for that. I said, if I send a dive team into that river and they get tangled on a shopping cart at the bottom of that river, you're on the hook for that. So I need to know, are those guns really in the river or not? And she said, yes, they are. So we sent in a dive team. Sure enough, two guns found on that down at the bottom of the Chattahoochee River. Well, long story short, we didn't know where this guy had fled to, but I was highly concerned because he had now had sufficient flight instruction. Wow. And if he got a hold of a plane, he could have flown it into anything. So I was a nervous wreck because I didn't know where this guy was and we could not tell how he left the country and we didn't know where he was. Well, ultimately, I figured out what he did. When he came into the United States, he had a couple suitcases with him. And when we searched Paula's apartment, we found these suitcases and on the luggage tags was um, the name B. Felton. And so I'm like, it didn't click with me at first, but then I'm like, Paula, who's B Felton? She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, when I went to, at the time it was immigration customs enforcement, I went to immigration customs enforcement and I'm like, run the name B Felton through your database and let me know if anybody flew out of the country under that identity on this date. And sure enough, that's, we found he had stolen the passport of a guy named B Felton. And that's how we got out of the United States and returned to London. And so that's how we were able to track him down. But that case, I, I, I mean, I didn't sleep for days because I didn't know where he was. And I was very, very concerned he would get access to a plane and that, commit an act of terrorism. I can't. I can't even take That's it. That's crazy. And they, that just even sparked the thought, the feeling in me of like living with this shit. Like it's not just you don't just interview people and go home. Are you subjected to um, like gross pictures? And have you had to deal with like yeah, like dead bodies and shit, and child stuff? And well, yes, yes. Um, Certainly. Um, well, and I was on the evidence response team with the FBI for a number of years. So, yes. Oh, um, no, when, Jody. You know, and we've no. gone to massive, gone to uh, quite a few um, mass shootings. Um, and then certainly I was at the Pentagon for 16 days. So there's nothing more gruesome than that after 9-11. So um, and yes, um, if you I, I never personally worked on um, a, a child exploitation squad, but I did assist on searches and arrests when that squad had um, searches or arrests of particular subjects. And so, you know, I would have to go into these homes where these pedophiles lived and, you know, seize their um, pictures mm. and 
yeah that, so that, that was that's my, disturbing yeah my la my final of my inquiry as to i mean i could talk about it yeah you know, all day you just yeah all day. i have so many questions but that one have you been in a situation where you had to think to yourself okay don't kill this person because that's against the law and i can't do that but wow do i want to <laughs> Well, certainly there are certainly some people who just are so, um, just so evil and gross. Evil, evil is the word. Yeah. And, you know that is the word. Um, and and certainly, you know, when you're talking about dismemberment, when you're talking about crimes against children, um, we had a case um, just prior to my retirement where um, a child was kidnapped and ultimately was left out in like a wooded area in her child seat. And it was like a two-year-old. No. And so we were searching for that two-year-old oh, and it's wow. like, you know, one, we want to find that child alive, but just the fact like the urgency, like we've got to find her. What if she's strapped in that car seat and she's still alive and there's all these animals out there and wildlife. And, mm. um, and unfortunately she was found um, deceased, but it, it, that was a horrible, horrible case, that case. Yeah, like how do you all, uh -huh. even as partners or whatever, not want, like secretly go in a room with the guy, and I'm assuming it's a guy that <laughs> took the baby. Yeah, and killed actually, him. that one was a woman. <gasps> that one was a woman. Oh, I stand corrected. The one in a million. Wow. Yeah, that is disgusting. Um, That's even worse. What did she okay. want with the baby, or did she just want the car? Um, it was revenge against a man who had left her. Well, ultimately, so she killed her fault. own baby. Um, it was the man's child from a previous relationship wow. and and he was allegedly either in contact or reconnecting with the mother of his child and so, so still a man's um, fault Jody. <laughs> um, okay i want to know um that is like one going so so your people are assigned to things so like you were on the evidence like task force or whatever whatever it's called for so there's is there's a person who works there and each field office that's assigned to like the tip line then right well no not exactly so we have a tip line um at our facility we have a facility in west virginia in west virginia known as sieges and so we have a national tip line so all the tips go in there and then they disseminate the tips to the particular jurisdiction where the alleged crime has occurred. But in a field office, like for example, my first office was Atlanta and I was assigned to, uh, first of all, to the bomb squad, to the, to the because we had a, a whole squad dedicated to the Olympic Park bombing and the subsequent bombings in Atlanta. But then ultimately after I got off that case, then I went to just the basic, the overall international terrorism squad and then after i had my kids i'm like i can't be running around the world looking for terrorists i need bankers hours so then i went to the financial crime squad so you have different squads in each field office to work the different federal violations but then you also have multiple collateral duties that you can sign up for voluntarily and so like i signed up to be on the evidence response team and went through the training to do that other agents are on the SWAT team. Other agents are crisis negotiators. Some are pilots. Um, there's all sorts of collateral duties you can do. I did want to know, I mean, we can't even get into it, but I mean, there's definitely some criticism of the fucking tip line team. Like, yes. we've got some tips that have come in that have been <laughs> ignored, Joe. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's where we're supposed to call if we see some fucking incel with a bunch of guns in his garage. 
have we been told incorrectly? Because we, you know, with all of these shooters, it's like, I called in. We saw him shooting guns out of his backyard or whatever. And then they say they call the FBI. And then it's like the FBI doesn't follow up. That's what we, you know, everyone blames the FBI for every mass shooting. That has occurred. Um, you know, and the hard part is, is now there have been cases where there should have been follow up and there wasn't adequate follow up. So that's one situation. But then there's other situations where the tip is called in and it is followed up. But if that person hasn't violated a federal law, all that can be done is you go out, you interview that person and you type your report and it goes into our databases. But if there's no violation of federal law, you can't, there's nothing, your hands are tied. You can't do anything. Mm. So if somebody says, if we see somebody doing something weird with guns and they look weird, gross, yeah, <laughs> then we, we call and report it and then like what is the next step for the the FBI can't go unless we think they're making a bomb or what? Well, so let's say, let's say you're worried about your weird neighbor who seems to be stockpiling guns and you're concerned. Um, the thing to do is to call in and report that, give the information, the name, the address, et cetera. Now the FBI may call you back and do a more extensive interview, or they may just, you may have provided enough information. They may just take it from there. And then they will most likely um, do a background search of this individual liaison with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, see, okay, are any, um, is there any concern in other federal agencies about this individual? Are there any local arrests from this individual? Has this individual used guns to threaten or assault anyone in the past? That sort of thing. And then ultimately, that individual should be interviewed by the FBI. Why are you, um, you know, especially if there is concern that the acquisition of those guns is being done, not just because you have the right in this country to own guns. It's, are you acquiring those guns in anticipation or preparation for the commission of a crime? That's the difference. Have you had to go into therapy? <laughs> Julie was thinking about therapy. For FBI or anything else? Well, for, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know as a, I have a parent who's a was a surgeon and he, he took that home with him and it made him a very depressed, um, angry person. And I think I wonder with police, with FBI, with people who are in these high, high, just like the, just even the three days of not knowing where the guy went with the plane or the pilot, yeah. that yeah. alone could put me into therapy for a year. I haven't had to have therapy um, in relation to my career. I, I believe <laughs> Just in your therapy. Um, um, you know, sometimes ex-husbands cause yeah. you to go to therapy. <laughs> but, uh, but certainly um, on a serious note, you know, there is no shame in the game to get therapy if you're in law enforcement oh. and have seen, especially, especially these people who work the crimes against children I and can't. see the child exploitation. Oh. That is very, very traumatic. Yeah. Um, certainly um, people who have worked some of these um, more graphic shootings um, after 9-11. I know as a 9-11 responder, there are quite a few 9-11 responders, especially from the New York crime scene, um, who have needed or wanted 
um, some some therapy because you know there is survivor's guilt. You know, a lot of our partners have died as a result of the toxins that we were exposed to. So um, there's no shame in the game to get therapy um, by at any level of law enforcement. And certainly, I almost think um, there needs to be almost a more proactive monitoring to ensure that, yep. you know, because uh, there's a lot of macho-ness in law enforcement, like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, if you ask a lot of the family members of law enforcement, they're not always fine. They come home quite grouchy. You're not allowed to talk about your cases. So all that's bottled up. Your wife or your husband asks you, how was your work today? Well, you can't really say how work was today. Um, you know, and then there's also the impact on family members because you work around the clock, you work odd hours, you miss the baseball games and the soccer matches and the school musicals, you know, you can't always be there. And that can cause a lot of strife within law enforcement families. So, you know, therapy can help with that mm -hmm. as well. Okay, well, we're going to... Um we're going to have you back on next month to deep dive some current events like the Chinese spy balloon and shit. But before we let you go. <laughs> and Matt Gates, And Matt Gates and the FBI <laughs> and weaponizing let me the write FBI. That down. Yeah. Right yeah. And January 6th and yep. And the Blue. classified document. There's oh, so much. Classified documents. And all of the fucking true crime oh, things. So much. So much. And we can find out about your kids and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Your family. Okay. Um, tell us what the most interesting thing you worked on as an FBI agent. Do you have like a favorite case? I've got a few. Um, certainly, you know, being on the Atlanta bombing cases, that was, you know, right out of Quantico. I got assigned to that case. Mm -hmm. And that was fascinating because, um, I mean, it was a it was a huge manhunt. They, it was really a whodunit. But when I got there, Richard Jewell had, yeah, are you in the movie? had already been. Returned. I like love that fucking movie. And I can't and even so, stand Clint Eastwood. And it was like his best movie. Are you? Is there a character based on you in the movie? No, I, I got there after Richard Jewell <laughs> had already been cleared. Okay. So, um, but it is interesting um, because that was my first question. It's like, okay, well, what what's going on with Richard Jewell here? And then and when I got there in November of 1997 and was assigned to that case, they didn't have a suspect. And then there was a subsequent bombing in January of 1998. And that's where Eric Rudolph became our suspect. And so it was fascinating that I was only there for a couple months and then got to hit the ground running on a really active, you know, um, case to try to find this Literally. serial bomber. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was interesting. Certainly 9-11 um, working at the Pentagon. That to me was, um, you know, I felt like, I was really doing something to help my country mm. in those in those subsequent weeks after 9-11. And then I also had a very, very um, high profile case in Pittsburgh um, against a local prominent doctor who was um, not only had his own practice, but he was also a doctor for the Pittsburgh Steelers, as well as the FBI doctor <gasps> who did our bureau physicals. <gasps> and um, he, he he was engaged in so much um, opiate diversion, Ooh. durable medical fraud. Um, he had steroid clinics and was dealing um, HGH and steroids and had kickback conspiracies with these independent pharmacies. So I had a four-month trial against him. 
And that case was fascinating. And what's interesting about him was he was kind of like this demigod here in in Pittsburgh because of his association with the Steelers. And he was also an Olympic medalist. He medaled in the 1972 Olympics in diving. Um, So it was really a fascinating case. And you talk about a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that case, they should make a movie out of that case, in my opinion, because it was very, very fascinating. What's a doctor's name? Dr. Richard Rids, R-Y-D-Z-E. You have like a lot of like kind of like loose connections to the Olympics. Like, Isn't strangely. that amazing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, every case was different too. There were some parallels from case to case, but every every case I worked, there was something unique about it that really it's like, wow, didn't see this one coming. Hey, you know what it reminds me of? <laughs> That's nice, Paula, but where are the guns? <laughs> exactly. All I can think about is what a dumb bitch Paula is, and Paula, I feel bad for her, but God. Like, I'm well. sorry, but you're going dumping guns in the fucking thing? Like, come on, Paula. Come on, Paula. Hey, guys, Paula. I mean, just, come on, Paula. She's great, Paula, but not really. She's not great. She's not great, Paula. Jody, thank you so much for taking the oh, time to come on our stupid podcast. I mean, Paula's probably a listener because that's how dumb this podcast is, okay? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm honored to be on, you guys. This has been so much fun. And I look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, I mean, we're, you're coming on in a month. We're, we're doing a two part thing with you because Mm. we could do all day we're going we're gonna do everything we've ever wondered about every single true crime so tell our 14 listeners where they can find you we're all addicted to you now well thank you um i have my own podcast on patreon it's called caught in my web and i cover true crime cases not only that are in the news currently but also cold cases so you can find me on patreon Mm. and then i'm on twitter at Jodine Weber and Instagram at Weber Jodine. Now it's time for So There's That. All right, so this is the part of the show where Julie has to find a so there's that moment that's happening because of or in spite of the diarrhea toilet Republicans and the ignorant Facebook Fox News army that follows them. You know, like Ashley Babbitt. <laughs> she, <laughs> she hates doing it because it's damn near impossible to find an uplifting story to end the show on a positive note when half of the country are mind-controlled members of a morally bankrupt right-wing cult and the rest of us are whiny, entitled virtue signalers who are too busy keyboard fighting with our own side to win the war. The whole thing is draining and exhausting and quite frankly depressing. Politics is the absolute most polarizing topic of conversation and for some reason we thought it was a great idea to have a political (laughs) fucking podcast of all things. And then trying to find a hopeful story within all of that is just fucking annoying. It really is. I am... I mean, you want to talk about bargain bin. This, These, sto- this, this, this should be called So There's Bargain Bin <laughs> this, Titty Tots. This story today is scraping the bottom of the bargain There's bin. There's just nothing. Nothing. Ugh, whatever. But as I was writing a dissertation on the benefits of cellular dairy and meat, meaning meat and dairy that's going to be grown in a lab that could, if we allow it, save the torture and murder of millions and millions of animals. And maybe there'll come a day when we don't have to like read stories where this is the problem when you look for So There's That. 
You then are like, okay, fucking Biden, fucking this, fucking cellular dairy. Then you read a story where thousands of ducks are buried alive because they have bird flu. And the only reason they exist is so we can fucking eat them and torture them. And then you literally kill them alive. Bury them alive. That's what we are. That's who we are. I can't take it. I fucking hate it here. Like Cornell Belcher (laughs) said, I fucking hate it here. Anywho, I blame men. But with blame and anger must come the equality of credit and understanding and gratuity to both men and women who have done things that really try and help the environment. Gratuity. <laughs> and one of my 20%, favorites. 20%. Is- I always do 20 or more. Yeah. Well, that's, that's exactly right. So that fits. That word is correct. The men and women who have done things that really try and help the environment. And one of my favorite things, history. Now, I love historical places, things, stories, myths. All of that bullshit. It's also the art, the architecture, stories, mysteries, murders, just all of it. I fucking love it. And even if you don't like historical stuff, there are a few things in history that just because of how famous the stories have become, you've heard about it once in school or your dad was watching Nova on PBS and you were forced to watch something on ancient Greece or Rome, the Colosseum, the Taj Mahal. There's just things and names and places you've heard of. Now, one of those places is called Pompeii. I know you've heard of it. You've heard of it. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know. Or I don't know where it is. It's in Italy. For those of you who don't know or haven't heard of Pompeii, Pompeii is an ancient city in Italy near Naples that in 79 AD. Why have we never gone? We've gone to Italy 972 times. We sh- every time. Naples. Every time we should have gone. And That's we just so haven't gone. That's so embarrassing. Yeah. We've been right there. I know. I what know. the fuck? I know. This occurrence happened in 79 A.D. Oh, wow. 79 A.D. That is 70, just 79 years after Jesus was killed by the Jews. Now, Mount Vesuvius, what had happened was Mount Vesuvius erupted and covered the entire town, or I should say city, because it was really a city, in ash. And subsequently, in the 1700s, the first excavations of the area started. And turns out, sweetie... Everyone living in that town, plus the town next door store called Herculaneum, were perfectly preserved. It's absolutely unbelievable. Well, of course, everybody just got petrified or what? They got petrified. Oh, so not only did the people get petrified, but the 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 they they the homes, the art, the you don't have a home. You don't have a home. Four <laughs> homes: one in Pompeii, one Herculaneum, <laughs> one in Rome, and one in Greece. So the entire area was preserved. So we've got, you know, there's every single thing you can imagine from the time was preserved. But the, 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 the thing that was so incredible to people about Pompeii was not only were they incredibly preserved, they were preserved in the moment that, of the moment of their death. So there's families. Yeah, that's what I want to see. Huddled together. Or something. Yeah, you can look up the pictures. It's unbelievable. There's people spooning. There's people covering kids. There's their bodies are. They're perfectly preserved and it's fucking and it's it's tragic and it's horrendous, but it's it's crazy. So and from that town, we also got to see like from 79 years after fucking fake Jesus died. Yeah, that's unreal. Yeah. yeah. Now, unfortunately, because people are disgusting and the climate is brutal and, you know, all the world, the world, the world and time, time, time. They're trying to figure out how to keep the whole um, site, which is now, you know, an uh archaeological site from being destroyed and one of the thing that is overgrowing there besides like the ecosystem fucking being brutal and whatever the grass just the grass 
So there's a whole thing with yeah, the rest. Well, I mean, we know it takes, you know, the weeds, man. They'll take over. The weeds. Exactly. So. I told you this was a cool story, man. It is a cool story. <laughs> so imagine you have an entire excavated town or city, because it's really a city, uh, with a town square, with homes, with a, a bath. They always had, like, the public yeah. bath, the a market. There was a theater. Like, everything is there. So. And everything's preserved, but everything that they're they're worried though that everything's being overgrown with grass and weeds and all this kind of shit. So they've tried things, uh, and they don't know what to do. And this this is a quote: "If grass and other plants grow in or on the ancient walls and houses, this is a problem." So we try to have a sustainable approach to the whole environment and sustainable. Uh, also, to avoid using substances, then to avoid growing plants, having plants growing on the walls and the ruins. That's right. If that if Pompeii was located in America, we'd be having fucking Monsanto out there with their fucking mm-hmm. Roundup. Yeah, with Roundup. Right. So what did they do? They unleashed a pack of hungry sheep to take care of the grass. Uh, in an in an act of not only sustainability, but fucking cuteness. An entire flock of sheep is now mowing the grass around Pompeii in order to keep the motherfucking clean. Are, are you going to play the little clip of them all running to nibble on the grass as okay. treats? Sure. <laughs> I okay. mean, it's nothing but clip. fucking okay. sheep bells. Like, ding, 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 ding. But yeah. it's so cute. Yeah. And if you can picture 150 little sheep running to go into Pompeii to have their dinner. <laughs> 150 sheep arrived in Pompeii on Thursday morning and immediately got to work munching away <laughs> at their box. I'm <laughs> just kidding. In an, un- in an unexcavated section of Regio 5, a vast area to the north of the archaeological park, blah, blah, blah. A part of a nine-month experiment, the flock will also be deployed to trim other grass areas. <laughs> to eat other boxes. To, to eat other boxes, as well as maintain ancient and new vineyards as part authorities seek to boost the production of Pompeii wine. Quote, they entered the site with great enthusiasm and got to work straight away. How fucking cute is <laughs> so that? So cute. And they were uh, deployed. They the were box deployed. Sheep. The box eating sheep. <laughs> a, an army of them. An, what a dream. <laughs> Maintenance is a huge cost. So instead of paying someone to cut the grass, we have sheep eating it. Just every word that I'm saying. <laughs> Fertilizing it and creating a pastoral landscape that is much more resistant to dry seasons and heavy rainfall. The lawn mowing method has caught on in other places around the world as an ecological way to reduce energy use and costs. We love this. It's the circle of life and everyone involved is happy. The Pompeii Park gets cleaned. They get their boxes munched and the sheep get to munch their grass uh, and be happy. And no one needs to get murdered and tortured, at least until later, when I think we know that they will get murdered and tortured. But for now, they're eating and happy and helping. And if this type of thing can catch on, perhaps we could see flocks of sheep mowing lawns instead of migrant workers who don't get paid enough, putting gas and toxins in the air with lawnmowers and grass blowers and shit and Monsanto and Roundup. The Pompeii sheep can teach us a lesson in real sustainability. The sheep are helping save money, preserve the landscape, and it's helping with the human karma as well. Go watch the videos and look at the pics and give yourself a pickup today. It's totally worth it. And you know what? Let's go to Pompeii. Munch, munch. So there's that. Freedom. 
So that's it for this episode of Dumb Gay Politics. Thank you guys for listening to our stupid ass podcast. (laughs) We love and appreciate all 14 of you so much. If you're new here and you like us, but you'd rather not hear about politics, please consider checking out our Patreon podcast. Our Patreon podcasts are completely different than this one. We do two a week, every week. Um, There's no ads. There's no structure. There's no politics. There's no rules. It's just supposed to be stress-free, mindless fun and funny. If we can make it funny, we try. We try. We try. We try. We try. Uh, you can subscribe for only a dollar. You get one podcast a week for one dollar and two podcasts a week for two dollars. And when you sign up, you will immediately get access to hundreds of hours of timeless back podcasts. There's a list pinned to the top of the feed of all of our most popular episodes. So you'll know right where to go. There's a link to a free episode in the description below this podcast, or you can go to our website, julianbrandy.com, and there's a button on every page that says click to listen to our free Patreon episode. You can listen to the whole hour right there from your phone or computer. You don't have to download anything or sign up for anything. It's super easy, and as always, it's been real, and it's been fun. But mostly, it's been gay, and it's been dumb. And Jody Weber. FBI. Super agent. How'd you do, I? See, you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little brought down because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man. By the light of day But by night I'm one hell of a lover I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> Let me show you a rhyme And maybe play you a sign You look like you're both pretty groovy Want something visual that's not too abysmal. We could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. I'm glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat wheel. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual Transylvania. (laughs) Why don't you... Stay for the night. Night. Or maybe a bite. Night. I could show you my favorite obsession. I've been making a man with blonde hair and a tan. And he's good for relieving my tension. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania
So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> But not the symptom. <laughs> <laughs>